1: This is Little Atoms, a radio show about ideas and culture, with me, Neil Denny. On today's show, Yeon Lee on her new novel, The Book of Goose. Yeon Lee is the author of six books of fiction and two books of nonfiction, including Where Reasons End and Dear Friend, From My Life I Write to You in Your Life. Her work has appeared in the New Yorker, the New York Review of Books and other places. Her accolades include the Guardian First Book Award, the Sunday Times Short Story Award, a Wyndham Campbell Prize, a MacArthur Foundation Fellowship, a Guggenheim Fellowship, the Penn Jean Stein Award and many others. And she currently teaches at Princeton University. And today we're going to be talking about Eon's latest book, The Book of Goose. Eon Lee, welcome to Little Atoms. Thank you so much for having me. Tell us, first of all, how you would describe this novel then.
2: Oh, that's the, always the most difficult question, right? How would an author describe a book? So I think this book is about two girls without much in their lives. You know, there are French girls growing up in the countryside after World War II. And I would say, you know, Elizabeth Bowen would call them characters without alternatives because they start without alternatives, which is unusual. And the book is about their using their imaginations to gain some alternatives for themselves, which means they go on to write a book and, go you know, go on to enjoy fame and material gain, and eventually losing that alternative. So, you know, people would describe the book as a book about friendship, which is true. It's about girlhood friendship. But to me, it's more about just gaining and losing alternatives, which is an inevitable road for many people in life.
1: So the story is about two girls, Agnes and (laughs) Fabienne. But the story is narrated by Agnes from a position in the future where we know already that Fabienne has died. And so this is entirely the story told through Agnes's voice, something we'll talk about a bit later on. But tell us who Agnes is when we first meet her. So, in the where she is when the book opens.
2: Yeah, so when we first met Agnes, she is already a young woman, married and living in the countryside of uh, Pennsylvania, and married to an American husband who came to the France during the occupation after World War II. So, as you said, the book opens when she receives this letter from her French hometown that her childhood friend Fabien died, and. Oftentimes, death is a good reason for literature to happen. And I always say death is the beginning of the story, not the end of the story. So Fabian's death starts Agnia's story. And that's where we meet her, you know, at this moment where her childhood friend dies and her life is entirely divided into before and after.
1: So tell us something about her life in Saint-Rémy, the French village, provincial village. It's set in in the 1950s, as you said, in post-war France. So what is her life like? You mentioned just now that the, the girls invent possibilities for themselves to actually have something of a life. But what would, if that hadn't have happened, what would the life of these two girls have gone on to be like?
2: Right. Yes. So these two girls, you know, they grew up in the countryside fa- peasant stock. And their parents, their grandparents, they all live, you know, as peasants and die as peasants. It's a harsh life. You know, any rural life is difficult. And French countryside after World War II, is, it's impoverished. They, they live in this impoverished life without much food. Of course, no books. Not many things. And Fabian already stops going to school. Agnia still goes to school. But, you know, education is very dire. And it feels a dire life from the outside. I think if we look at these girls, we would call them their life dire or even deprived. And yet, I think for themselves, that is just their lives. And they have their animals, they have their chickens, they have their pigs, goats, cows, they have their, you know, fish in the river, birds in the sky. So they have their entire world to themselves, except that entire world is not much, you know, to the outsiders. So I would describe that's their life back then in St. Remy.
1: And even within these prescribed circumstances, Fabienne has definitely got the, you know, a slightly worse life than than yes, slightly more dire circumstances. Tell us something about Fabienne and who she is.
2: Yeah, so Fabienne is this, when we first see her, she's 13, 12 going on 13, both girls 12 going on 13, but Fabienne already lost her mother in the past as a young girl. And her sister, her older sister also died in childbirth she had a baby with an American GI who happened to be a black man. And the black man was, you know, back then, I think there are a lot of these court-martials. So, so the father of that baby was already court-martialed and executed before this baby was due. So her sister gave birth to the baby. The baby died, and shortly after, the sister also died from childbirth. So that's where Fabienne comes from. There's no feminine influence in her life. Her mother and her sister both died. And she has two brothers and a father who just worked as peasants. You know, the father drinks, the brothers are, you know, on the way to becoming men like their father. So Fabienne is quite lonely in this life. And she would never admit she's lonely, but she doesn't have anyone close to her. She's not very likable. She doesn't, she doesn't look pretty. You know, there's not much food. So she's tiny, she's scrawny, she's bony, and she's sharp. The only person in her life is Agnes, her best friend. And they were friends from the moment they came into this world. So they're lifelong friends. And so Agnes is the only person Fabian has in her life.
1: Tell us something more about this bond between the two girls. There is a really intense look at uh, childhood friendship in this book. But there's also, I mean, Fabienne is definitely the powerful one out of the two in terms of the dynamic of the friendship. But tell us something about where this bond comes from.
2: Right. Where does this bond come from? At one point, Agnes, in writing about the friendship, she actually thinks about the same question. How do they become? How did they become friends? why would she not be friends with, you know, some other girls, nice girls at school or a little bit wealthier than Fabian, you know? So then Agnes in the book, she says, you know, childhood friendship is like fate. It happens. It's not prearranged. And if you think about how two children get close, it's always a mystery. And I think at the center of the book is that mystery that they just encounter in life. Just gives them this lifelong, or at least, you know, so far, lifelong bond until Fabian dies. So it's an intense friendship. Also, it's pre sexual. You know, they are 12, 13 at the beginning and then going on 14, but they're not yet sexual, you know, beings. They are two children. Who I, I noticed that childhood friendship is interesting in that they can be the entire world for each other. Agnes mentions in the book, and she says, you know, she's benefited from her indifference to her own parents and her own siblings. So she doesn't have strong emotion or emotional attachment to anyone but Fabian. And the same for Fabian, you know, she doesn't have emotional attachment to anyone but Agnes. So those kind of bonds, I think they really, as Agnes says, they happen as fate happens and they just happen to these children. And once this happens, they're like marked children. They have to walk through this process of, you know, living through this intense bond and see where they end up with. Yes.
1: And the the, so the main thrust of the of the novel is that the the two girls between themselves concoct a book. They write a book full of vivid and crude stories of provincial French life. A book which I would die to read. It sounds absolutely amazing. Um, tell us something about these stories that the uh, that Fabienne comes because Fabienne, they're all Fabienne stories basically, right. and and the the plot is concocted that, that Agnes will be the face of this book. But yeah, tell us something about the actual stories themselves. The actual
2: stories are just their actual life. I, I'm, I'm so tickled. You said you're dying to read this book. <laughs> Sometimes I think, oh, I'm dying to read this book too. I didn't really write that book within the book. But well, I think Fabian, you know, of course, Fabian is the author of these stories. And of course, she's a in a way, you have to look at her. She has all the imagination, but she's still she's only having this one life. And one life she knows. So the stories are really about how they live their lives in that village. Animals die, children die, grown ups die, and and there's a lot of just brutality and violence. But it's not to them. It's not violence. It's everyday happening. If a goat is drowned in the river, goat is drowned. If a baby dies and, you know, gets eaten by other animals, a baby dies and gets eaten by other animals. So Fabienne has this really matter-of-fact way of describing her, you know, life or their life, which, of course, just is astonishing to the readers in Paris and later the readers in England, because it's not something that they would imagine a young girl would be able to present to the world. So that's the book they have concocted together. It's I would say, you know, the book's title is Happy Children, which means the the only happy children is are the dead children. They have this little note at the beginning of the book. So it's a book about their life, the the only life they
1: know. So is this based on I mean you do actually mention a couple of real life examples of of, you know similarly young, precocious French writers of the era. So is this based on the actual real cases?
2: It had a seed in the actual case. And you know, I read in the Elizabeth Bowen's uh, review of four very precocious French prodigies, and one of them was a French peasant girl, and she wrote a book, and Bowen didn't really review it nicely. Bowen did not say a lot about the book because the book actually wasn't very readable. And then of course, you know, naturally this girl author, this prodigy just disappeared in history. And I think anything happens like that, someone existed at one moment in history and disappeared the next moment, that always gives a novelist, a way to imagine a different scenario, a different world. So yes, the book has that seed in the real case, you know, child prodigy. But from that point on, I sort of make it into two children's story.
0: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices
1: listening to little atoms I'm Neil Denny today I'm talking to yeon Lee and we're talking about her novel The Book of Goose and yeon there's well numerous adults that appear throughout the book, some of which we'll talk about in more detail that both help and maybe exploit the girls. I wanted to talk particularly about the portrayal of two different men in the mm-hmm. book so there's a uh, Monsieur Devo who's the uh, postmaster of the village who has a quite strange relationship with the two girls, but fundamentally like helps them write the book. Um, and he's a widower. And and then later on, when Agnes is at the boarding school in England, something we'll talk about again a bit later on. And there's a man there, Mika, who's a gardener, who in some ways perhaps is also a widower in some respects. Mm-hmm. And your portrayal of both of these men who are, it's incredibly vivid and brilliant portrayals of these like two damaged men who help and hinder the girls in different ways. Tell us about both of them.
2: Right. So the postmaster in the country said, as you said, he's a widower. And he was once a poet, you know, aspiring playwright. And he had his own ambition for literature success, literary success. It never happened for him. And I think the interesting thing with him is he really discovers Fabian's Talent. You know, he sees through the whole thing, and he notices the raw talent Fabian presents to the world in her stories. And he he steps in. and He starts to help to be part of those sort of literary hulks. You know, having Fabian write a story, having Agnes, the prettier girl, to be the face of the story. So I have, I'm very fond of him, even though you know he has his own problems. In in a way, I think. This is a game for two children, but the two children can only bring the game so far and they need someone to help them to get that game, to get that book into the world. And Monsieur DeVoe, of course, you know, steps in to do that. You know, anytime a, a hoax happens, it is an opportunity for someone to gain something so you know, certainly the postmasters. What the post? What does the postmaster gain in this game? You know, that's the complicated issue with him. So as you said, then when Agnes moves to the English finishing school, Meeker the gardener, it's almost like a rerun. It's an echo of the early episode. The Meeker really also has done all he can to help Agnes, and yet. I mean, I won't give away too much, you know, spoiler, but both men's lives are permanently altered by the two girls' actions. And in, in a way, I think that's the girlhood friendship to them. They are the only people in the world. Their actions have consequences that they would never be able to see, and they don't care to see. So in a way, I think they are exploited at least in a way, by the postmaster, but they also exploit other people for their own gain, and they have done enough damage to other people. So, so the two men, yes, I think they are—they're sort of the anchors of two betrayals of the novel.
1: All the way through this process of writing a novel, Agnes is is very ambivalent about it. Like she doesn't seem to even understand what the consequences of writing a novel will be in terms of you know making money having a career the life of a writer and this is sort of contrasted with a very vivid portrayal of the sort of Parisian literary or publishing scene of the um of the 1950s as well as as she's tried to be shaped into into somebody who can be presented you know presented to the press and and shown as as a prodigy tell us something about about this, about your, your depiction of the, um, the Parisian literary scene? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, that's the kind of the, uh, the life that a prodigy has to face is, you know, Agnès has to be presented as a prodigy. Agnès has to meet the press. Agnès has to take all the you know photographs. And in a way, I think, again, this is an exploitation of a young girl from the countryside, but you cannot really say, you know, who has gained? The publisher has gained money. And but Agnes has also gained, you know, has made material gain. So it's a very precarious game between Agnes and the publisher. But I, I you know, as you said, Agnes has been ambivalent about writing the book. But she's also she has good enough intuition to play the game. She knows what the publisher wants from her. She knows what the world wants from her. And she would do that, which is a contrast. You know, this is the first contrast between her and Fabienne. You know, Fabienne is the real author, but she's not going to do anything the world asks her to do as an author. So so that's sort of the beginning of the diversion of their fates is Agnes is not the writer, but she's willing to play a writer. She she even says she can rehe- if she rehearses for child prodigy she can't do as much as you know she has done in Paris because she just steps into that role so so that's that's where Agnes is going with her full prodigy status
1: and tell us something about Woodsway the um, English finishing school <laughs> that Agnes goes to and uh, Mrs Townsend the um, sort of patrician uh, head of this of this school. And um, where does this come from?
2: Right. So, yes. Yeah, so, the in the real, you know, I, I as I referred to the real life seed of uh, the Bowen's Review, the, the author, that young girl actually did go to an English finishing school to be shaped into the debutante, and it, it was a failed, it was a failed effort. Everybody's part, you know, partly was because she's not being able to, she was not being able to shape into a prodigy. So I thought that was an interesting, you know, again, development of Agnes' life. But on a more novelistic level, the two girls have such a strong bonding. You know, they can carry the book just between themselves. They can never part. But as a novelist, you you want to see what happens if you part them you know, you separate them. So to send Atheneas to the finishing school, as both, you know, part of the original story of the girl, but also just, just a way for the novel to develop and see what happens when they are not together. So they're physically apart, away from each other. And then, of course, then the Fabian starts this game of correspondence, and she sort of escalates the game with her imagination, not only writing as a girl, but also writing as a boy. So that's the kind of thing I think as a novelist, you always want to explore all the possibilities, how to make the story go without have the story getting stuck, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, it sure does. And um, I just want to talk about the the idea of, storytelling and well I guess who owns like the ownership of art because the book is obviously also looking at the fact that these are all obviously Fabienne's stories but potentially somebody else is going to both exploit and profit from those entirely with Fabienne's contrivance obviously but just what does the book tell us about the ownership of art in that respect
2: yes it's an ambivalent it's a complicated situation I would say you know who owns the art the stories? Are created in Fabian's head, but Agnes writes it down. Agnes impersonates this or embodies this child prodigy but then the the funny thing is when Agnes is in the finishing school, Mrs. Townsend, a schoolmistress, wants her to write another book, and Agnes starts to write, but Mrs. Townsend just cannot help. Mrs. Townsend rewrites the book. Almost as though, you know, to put her own fingerprint or to put her own creative energy into writing as Agnes. And I think I think this is part of what the story is interesting to me, is really who owns the story? Everybody has a piece in it.
1: And of course, as we've already said, this is the story is narrated by Agnes. Fabian mm-hmm. is Is missing literally, as as Agnes says towards the end of the book, her voice is missing from the story. Um, And so, tell us something about this. About you know, we can only see the the events of this story. This is literally the Book of Goose is literally Agnes's book that she is writing to put the record straight, as it were. But it's all from her own perspective.
2: Yes, I think that's, a, that's one of the most important thing is, apart from the fact that Fabian already died and she could not come back to, re, you know, to put the record right, is Fabian is never going to be interested in doing that. And the two friends, I, I would say, at the beginning of working on the novel, the two friends came to me as a pair, so very clearly as a duet. What's interesting to me is Fabian is very sharp imaginative, very pure. And she has the kind of intensity and purity. And people would say, why is Fabienne not a narrator, not the narrator of the book? And the thing is, I don't want her. She's so pure and so intense. Her pitch is already set. But Agnes is much muddier to me. You know, as you said, she feels ambivalent at the beginning about writing the book. And later, her feelings, you know, when she comes back to retell the story, she still has a lot of ambivalence about all sorts of things. And I like that in a narrator. I like that muddiness in a narrator. And she's less pure, less sharp. But her muddiness, I think, is an important part of this book, is nothing can be told straightforwardly. There's always a second layer of truth there.
1: And thinking about this being a a first person narration in the voice of Agnes, I watched a a video from an interview with yourself from a few years ago, earlier in your career, where you you talked about, you know, the sort of transition into writing in English, and your ambivalence with the pronoun I. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, you know, subsequently, there's been a memoir, and you've written lots of personal essays, but this is explicitly a first person narration. So (laughs) how do you feel about I now?
2: Well, one's opinion, one's mind can be changed. That's, that's what I can say. I think my mind has changed about the personal, or about the first person narrator, about that capital I. And there are stories I now understand or I now acknowledge. They are better to be told in first person narrator.
1: So to finish this off, can I get you to read this a bit?
2: Yes, so I will read just an opening page or two of this novel, which actually you will hear Agnes' voice. You cannot cut an apple with an apple. You cannot cut an orange with an orange. You can, if you have a knife, cut an apple or an orange, or slice open the underbelly of a fish, or if your hands are steady enough, and the blade is sharp enough, sever an umbilical cord, you can slash a book. There are different ways to measure depths, but not many readers measure a book's depths with a knife, making a cut from the first page all the way down to the last. Why not, I wonder? You can hand the knife to another person, betting with yourself how deep a wound he or she is willing to inflict. You can be the inflictor of the wound. One half orange plus another half orange do not make a full orange again. And that is where my story begins. An orange that did not think itself good enough for a knife. And an orange that never dreamed of turning itself into a knife. Cut and be cut. Neither interested me back then. My name is Agnes but that is not important. You can go into an orchard with a list of names and write them on the oranges, Fongstras and Pierre and Diane and Louise. But what difference does it make? What matters to an orange is its orangeness. The same with me. My name could have been Clementine or Odette or Henrietta, but so? An orange is just an orange. As a doll is a doll. Don't think that once you name a doll, it is different from other dolls. You can bathe it and close it and feed it empty air and put it to bed with the lullaby you imagine a mother should be singing to a baby. All the same, the doll, like all dolls, cannot be caught dead, as it was never alive. The name you should pay attention to in this story is Fabian. Fabian is not an orange or knife or singer or lullabies, but she can make herself into any one of those things. Well, she once could. She's dead now. The news of her death arrived in a letter from my mother. The loss of my family still living in San Remy. Though my mother was not writing particularly to report the death, but the birth of her first great grandchild. Had I remained near her, she would have questioned why I have not given birth to a baby to be added to her collection of grandchildren. This is one good thing about living in America. I am too far away to be her concern. But long before my marriage, I stopped being her concern. My fame took care of that. America and fame, they are equally useful. If you want freedom from your mother.
1: So, I've been talking to Yeon Lee. We've been talking about her novel, The Book of Goose, which is out in the UK from Fourth Estate. Yeon, thank you so much for taking the time to share it with me.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: This episode of Little Atoms was produced, presented, and edited by me, Neil Denny. Little Atoms is hosted by ACAST and published by 89UP. The show is broadcast on Mondays and Saturdays on Resonance 104.4 FM. Thanks for listening.